Why is delayed defibrillation common in the hospital setting? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Beth Mancini, Professor and Associate Dean of the Undergraduate Nursing Programs at University of Texas at Arlington and co-founder of the National Registry of Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation. Dr. Mancini, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us about the National Registry of CPR. Well, the National Registry of CPR was founded in 2000 by the American Heart Association. Its goal was to improve survival from hospitalized patients at risk for cardiac arrest in basically two ways. First, by helping hospitals develop evidence-based systems that are focused on early recognition and rescue of patients, because certainly our, the most important thing to do is to prevent arrest from ever occurring But if that arrest does occur, and our CPR helps hospitals improve patient outcomes by focusing on the systems that maximize the links in the in-hospital chain of survival, that is early recognition, early CPR, early defibrillation, and early implementation of appropriate levels of advanced life support. By doing this, we believe that we can enhance overall survivability from cardiac arrest in the hospital setting. What led to your interest in issues surrounding resuscitation? My history as a registered nurse is as a critical care nurse and a hospital administrator, and I noted that survival statistics really were not showing improvement over time. Basically, for the last 30-plus years, they've been around 16 to 18%. And my colleagues and I began to question whether we were doing all we could do in hospitals to improve the outcome, and we began to look for the essential variables that we knew affected outcomes in hospitals and applying performance improvement activities to those. So we looked at early recognition, early defibrillation. We looked at physical plant issues with hospitals and equipment and realized that when we apply performance improvement activities, we really were able to make differences in these very time-sensitive variables in hospitals. According to the National Registry of CPR, what is the survival rate of all cardiac arrests? Well, various articles from the NRCPR database have reported overall survival from 17 to 19 percent. But that outcome, there is no such thing as average, if you will. We, at, For example, uh, Dr. Mimi Pepperdy and her team in a recent report in a JAMA article looking at almost 87,000 cases of in-hospital cardiac arrests realize that resuscitation when occurs during daytime and during the week hours was significantly different than on nights and weekends, the difference between 14% and almost 20%. She noted that arrests happen more frequently at night to patients who are unmonitored and unwitnessed and that these impacted survival. So what we do know is location matters, whether you're on a general floor, in the emergency room, or in an ICU. That impacts survival. What time of the day it is impacts your survival. And uh, how quickly we can get to you if you have a cardiac arrest also differs by time of day and has an impact on survival. So when people quote averages, we really want them to start looking more closely and determining how they can improve in this location at this time of the day or this day of the week. What's being done to address this problem? 
Well, hospitals are embracing the idea of performance improvement. Resuscitation, response to resuscitation, and ultimately its outcome are directly related to education. Are people doing the right thing? And are they doing them in the right order and in a timely manner? So by using NRCPR, hospitals are able to track their occurrences, look at these key process variables, and start to determine what they can do in their individual facility to make a difference. For example, one member hospital actually identified that they had a longer time to first defibrillation after 7 p.m., and they thought, well, maybe this had something to do with staffing. But what it turned out was there were certain doors in the hospital that locked after 7 o'clock, and people had to go in different routes to respond to cardiac arrests, delaying the very time-sensitive first impact resuscitation treatment of defibrillation, and therefore it was taking them several minutes longer to get to the scene. So simply by looking at that, they identified the problem, were able to correct it by giving all members of the cardiac arrest team a slide key, and therefore they were able to decrease their time to first defibrillation. So from very small, what seemed to be small changes in practice, they're able to make improvements and ultimately improve outcome. Are there resources for listeners where they can do this type of assessment and quality improvement? Certainly, when you look at the full array of activities that a hospital can take, when they're looking at trying to prevent arrest, early recognition and rescue, areas such as IHI's initiative to save a million lives that's online People can go there to look at how they can look for performance improvement activities. The American Heart Association has a full array of support systems in place through the National Registry for Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation that would be at www.nrcpr.org, and they can go online and look for tools to help them with early recognition and rescue. They can look for tools that will help them measure performance during the actual event, And also not to forget the very important post-resuscitation area. Once you bring a patient back and you have return of spontaneous circulation, what does the evidence say is the best way to care for those patients? Right now, certainly the whole area of therapeutic hypothermia. Where are some best practice articles that will allow people to help implement these strategies? Those you can find on NRCPR. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Beth Mancini, Professor and Associate Dean of the Undergraduate Nursing Programs at the University of Texas at Arlington, discussing the National Register of CPR. Dr. Mancini, tell us more about therapeutic hypothermia. What we know is that once a patient has a cardiac arrest, certainly it's critically important to get the heart restarted, but also to do the things that will preserve vital organ function and allow the body to return to its normal state. And the research is pretty clear that post-arrest patients need cooling. And so there are evidence-based protocols 
that will help hospital and individual practitioners develop a strategy for doing post-resuscitation hypothermia where the body's temperature is cooled and allow for the long-term survival of the patient. So having this resource readily available through the National Registry of Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation that helps facilities to implement the evidence is really an important new tool for hospitals to use. What CPR research is currently taking place? In the hospital setting, certainly we're looking at the overall quality of CPR. We know that ensuring that the patients receive compressions and ventilations according to guidelines is critically important. And studies by our colleagues in Chicago and Pennsylvania have looked at the actual quality of CPR provided, identified opportunities for improvement, making sure there is no delay in compressions, making sure that ventilations are adequate. And so hospitals are looking at ways to measure their performances in that regard, making sure that all individuals, first responders in hospitals, are actually able to provide first responder defibrillation because we know that the shorter period of time between the patient having a cardiac arrest, and if it's a shockable rhythm, having the patient receive their defibrillation matters. With each minute, 60 seconds of delay decreases the likelihood of survival by about 10%. So this is a truly a time where seconds matter. So hospitals are looking at improving those responses. What is the percentage of people who survive in-hospital ventricular fibrillation to discharge? Well, again, it depends on location, and there are a number of patients in hospitals who indeed they are there and their disease is such that they are going to die. But if you look at survival from a shockable rhythm, about 35% of the patients who have ventricular fibrillation in the hospital survive to discharge. If they have a non-shockable rhythm, which sometimes indicates that they were not found immediately after uh, they had their cardiac arrest or because they had a disease process that caused the heart to go into asystole or pulseless electrical activity, that survival rate is only about 11%. Are there efforts underway to distinguish the patients where CPR would be futile? That is certainly a very important question. Are we resuscitating the right patients? And those are questions that are happening in ethics committees across this country and actually across the world. And is it a right to receive resuscitation? It's a very expensive intervention. It is not always successful. But when we don't currently have good predictors that tell us in which cases resuscitation will be successful and which it will not, people have certain levels of concern. Certainly, that's the importance of having an open and honest communication between the physician, the patient, and the family to ask these questions. We are certainly supportive of individuals and Joint Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations require that hospitals ask questions of patients when they're being admitted. Do they have advanced directives? Have they had these conversations? And if not, would they like to have these conversations? They're difficult to have and to make a decision, but they're very important. What feedback are you receiving from physicians and other healthcare professionals regarding this issue? Well, regarding the issue of appropriate response to cardiac arrests in hospitals, both hospital administrators, doctors, nurses, 
are all very open to the possibility of improving performance. For a long time, we all assumed that because we were talking about an environment in which doctors, nurses, all the expensive equipment that was necessary was there and available, that, of course, we must be doing everything right. Now, with an open look at the fact that there are opportunities for improvement, hospitals and physicians and nurses are very open to looking at ways to improve it. So I think they've embraced the notion of performance improvement. We all want to give every patient the maximum amount possible an opportunity to survive their arrest by doing the right things in the right order at the right time. But that doesn't guarantee success, of course, because some patients are just not having a survivable situation. It's just doing the best to use the evidence in a way that maximizes the likelihood of a successful outcome. Dr. Mancini, thank you so much for joining us to discuss the National Registry of CPR. Thank you very much. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.